0: Is everybody in? Is everybody in? The show is about to begin.
1: Welcome to the podcast, conscience that made us. Interviews and stories! Tales from the bus! We love taking you back! To when it all went down! The greatest live shows and the cheering crowd sound! It's concerts! Concerts that made us! Concerts that made us.com!
0: Welcome to August's highlights. If you missed any of the great episodes true, August, then this one is for you. So, sit back relax, and let's get on with the show. Travis and Wayne, you're very welcome to Concerts That Made Us. Thank you very much. Good to be here. I'm delighted to have you. I'm delighted to share Utopia Fest with the listeners.
2: Thank you, man. Uh, Yeah, we really appreciate uh, getting the the word out there, and we're, we're excited to share about it.
0: Now, before we get to Utopia Fest, I have to ask, what's your earliest musical memory?
2: Hmm, earliest musical
3: memory. I'm going to say mine is probably my sister's holding the jam box up to the TV and recording different sound uh, tracks onto a tape. And then listening to them in the car, like Grease and Grease 2, for instance, were on tape via... The TV, and they would just wait for each song and hit record. And I remember, like how cool of a process it was. And then the next thing I know, we're on the road to the beach in a family trip, listening to the, the music, and just how excited they were about it. I was much younger than them, and just kind of pulled me in to the whole idea. I
2: I'm
3: gonna
2: say, I don't know, my. I come from like a, just a really musical family. My mom and her uh, sisters were, were always singing, and they were like big in like the church choir and whatnot. And I like grew up, you know, in the church world, so that's probably where uh, I experienced it the most at first. But uh, yeah, we—I was living out in Utopia, which is like a pretty remote place, so uh, my exposure to a lot of music was pretty limited. But I—I I don't know. I just remember getting into like you know, the alternative and like grunge rock phase and all that, uh, just through like the the two radio stations, uh, that we would get out there. And, um, and then, uh, yeah, we, I remember being, uh, like a first adopter of like Napster and LimeWire and like burning CDs and stuff. And I started being like one of the providers of like burn CDs in, in high school and stuff. But, um, yeah, I don't know. It's hard to say the very first, but
0: geez, the the good old days of sharing music that way, huh? Right. (laughs) And what was a point in your early life then that made you realize you wanted to work in the music industry?
2: Uh, For me, I honestly had no real desire to, I don't know, it was hard for me to pick a a clear path for uh, most of like my school years. And I just, I went, uh, so I grew up out in Utopia and then went to uh, Texas State University in San Marcos, which is just south of Austin, and just kind of got into a communications degree. Just wasn't really sure what I was gonna do with it. Um, but I don't know, I, d- I just kind of fell into doing the festival thing because, I mean, I loved um, going to shows, uh, music, playing shows, and I started like working security at, at concerts as a-, as a side gig. And, And I just kind of got to know a lot of really great musicians and bands and then I don't know I just one day kind of clicked to like what a great spot uh, my family had out in Utopia, Texas, Um, the ranch that's been in my family for generations now and just how fortunate we were to, to have it and I wanted to invite friends out there but I also wanted to like bring this music experience to Utopia so We just invited like everyone we could and had like nine bands out there on a Saturday and just had like a little 200 person pasture party. And I didn't really think much of it or have big plans for it, but I just wanted to make it a little bit bigger and better every year. And uh, the second year I'd invited this uh, production company to help help film it, um, who were connected with Wayne. And uh, and then they loved it so much after the the second year, which was a little bit bigger. um, They offered to co-produce it with me for the third year uh, which is when wayne came in and they and together like as a team we all we took it from like three hundred to like twelve hundred to fifteen hundred over the next couple of years and then slowly it grew to like two thousand and 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 throughout the whole time it was really just like my main part-time job I always called it but I was still like working security and then I was doing like construction and like all kinds of other side jobs uh you name it but um so it's never been my my well it's been my number one thing but it's never been like a full time thing but but now it's led me to like, uh, we're actually opening like a a bar and venue, which is another kind of long story. So we're gonna, instead of doing the once or twice a year um, main events, and we've also produced all kinds of other just smaller shows, but now we're gonna have like a full-time home for music um, here in Buda, which is just south of Austin. Um, that's that's the shortest version possible, but I don't know, what would you say after your story,
3: Wayne? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, I mean, I was in theater growing up. And so I always loved being around a stage and performances and musical theater. And then in college, I started playing music with some friends. Um, actually took a break from education for a year just to, to try to be in a band, which was unsuccessful, but it got me hooked on the idea. And then, so I, I had bands throughout the rest of college and, uh, you know, and other things just drawing me to the stage. After I got out of college, I started doing production for photo work and and film work. And some of that film work was concerts as well. Uh, so I've just always been drawn to any performance. Um, I feel like I've been throwing parties since I was 17. We would throw a theme party out at friends' houses who didn't have parents or parents were away. Um, and just sort of trying to make it better and more efficient every time. And, uh just try to i don't know i think the whole goal is to have everyone have a good time feel accepted and, and be as safe as possible
0: you mentioned that the the ranch has been in your family for a hundred years was right. this you know i have this image we don't have ranches over over in europe unfortunately but <laughs> uh, i have this image that. People that own ranches are very, especially for that long, are very traditional. Were your family okay with throwing a music festival on the ranch?
2: Um, surprisingly, they're very supportive. But so the ranch is called the Four Sisters Ranch, which is my mom and her three sisters, and then they all, they all have a couple kids, and then uh, there's Granny, who's like the matriarch. Um, but yeah, like I. I couldn't believe how supportive they were. I mean, but it was really just because they believed in me so much and they wanted to support me. But then, you know, after, after we started having, it, I mean, what kept it going for the most part was just how respectful and appreciative the, the crowd were, uh, was. We just, you know, just, we attracted a certain type of of crowd and community that was just really just kind and re- treated the land very well for the most part. Obviously there's always like a handful of of troublemakers but like by and large like everyone was just really great and that's that's the only reason that they kept it going but yeah especially after after uh they experienced like some aspects of of the nature of like these type of things like after some of the things they saw i was surprised that they were still (laughs) for it but i mean but but uh, over time it definitely it kind of developed a spectrum between like the four sisters of of uh a pretty wide spectrum of how excited about it they were. Right? you could say. Yeah. Uh, actually uh the oldest sister, uh Diane has been like the biggest champion actually. Uh but then uh, maybe the one below her not not as enthusiastic. And my mom has always kind of been begrudgingly supportive um because she wants to support me as well. But she's always tried to get me to to stop doing it and become and get like a nine to five job and then the youngest sister is really really into it but yeah uh that was that was really amazing because you're right i mean it's it's a very conservative and traditional community so like you know some of the people in the area thought it was like the worst thing to ever happen to it but but then others you know loved it and supported it and i mean all the people that i really grew up with the most and cared about the most uh would come and and really appreciated it but but yeah so but it also was a tremendous stress on the on our family and the land and stuff as well. I mean, even though that it it, you couldn't really tell much of a, a mark on the land per se, but it, it was still a just stressful and risky thing. And and also we kind of had hit, hit a, a cap uh, or hit a maximum amount of attendees that we could comfortably host out there, and it still wasn't really sustainable. So we actually decided to to launch it off into the world and in 2018. Um, to, and move it closer to Austin to try to get to another level of, of, uh, sustainability and size. Um, but that's another super long story too. I kind of backfired on us and we've kind of been like recovering ever since. Um, but then we also decided to kind of, reboot, we kind of rebooted the concept and started doing smaller events back at the original location as well, but at, in the same time that we're doing these bigger events, um, and now it's in Burnett, Texas, just Northwest of Austin. And uh, we're coming up on our fourth uh, event there in October.
0: spade you're very welcome to concerts that made us
4: you know it's a pleasure being here an honor talking to you and uh, i think we're gonna have a good time this is gonna be something special
0: definitely definitely i've been looking forward to it now one thing i've noticed about the midnight devils is you seem to be the funnest band on the planet you guys just like seem like a hell of a good time you know
4: I appreciate you saying that, and that's exactly what we're going for. We're uh, not a lot of bands have the balls to to dress like we dress, to put on lipstick and glitter and step up uh, up on stage. But I really think that that especially in this day and age, with everything that's going on, we need this type of action. We need this type of fun more than we ever did before. And I really think that the Midnight Devils lends itself to this, this freedom of creativity, of sexuality, of, of, of anything that you want to do. You can do it as long as you're having a good time doing it.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And I get the feeling that it's not just for show you guys, that you guys really, you know, behind the scenes, you are the same as you appear on stage, you know?
4: Yes, absolutely. You're completely right. There's not a huge, huge difference from the way we look when we walk into the club. You know, we we still wear our leather jackets. We still got our our Ramones patches and, and our Kiss patches and everything like that. We still wear those every day. Because to us, that's what rock and roll is. And it's always been like that. You wear your, your t-shirt proudly every day because that's your favorite band and that's what you listen to. And it's it, there's a realness that is, uh, it comes through to the audience and it comes through to the people listening, to the people watching the shows. There's a realness that is what rock and roll is. And Jimmy Mess, they call him Jimmy Mess for a reason. He's really like that. He's one rock and roll, you know, he's the wildest rock and roll dude there is with this just free spirit, uh, uh, just maniac personality. And I think it totally translates to the songs, to the show, to the whole environment. I always believe as well that if you're fakeness, the fans will see through it straight away. You're completely right. And, and uh, you know, you've seen a, a million bands with, let's say guys that wear wigs or guys that have backing tracks. That fakeness, the audience knows immediately. And so for us, it's like, how how real can we make this? How can we push ourselves out of even our comfort zones into what we think we want, what we think our fans would want? We're, there's no backing tracks. There's nothing, nothing, everything's live on stage. You know, the songs are written, all the songs from the album were written from experiences that we had Uh, on the road uh, touring supporting our heroes and so it's a really cool look at at kind of what being in a band is like or uh, being on the road but it's still very relatable to uh, to people in everyday life Uh,
0: what was the the recording process like for the for the record was this did you do during the pandemic was it after the pandemic
4: yeah it, it uh so what happened was is that we had uh, we landed this dream tour. We we're opening for the choir boys. We get a, a call from our management say, okay, you guys are going to open for the choir boys for a month across the United States and Canada. We're like, this is it, man. We've made it. Like, we've made uh, another level, another goal. And so we got on the tour. The tour is going great. We did two weeks and the pandemic hit and shut everything down. And I go, well, this sucks, but we have to take this time uh, to to really, we got, you got to seize the moment seize this time, and do something productive and positive with uh, all the negativity as the world shuts down. So we recorded all the songs. We demoed all the songs in Omaha at a small studio. We wrote all the songs in a basement, at Sniper's Basement, and then shipped those all off to Chicago. Uh, They they got the songs there, and we drove. It's about seven hours from Omaha to Chicago. We drove out to Chicago and did all the tracks, laid the tracks down at Chip's house uh, over a week or so. We did the drums, the guitars. I went in and did the vocals. And and the day that we we recorded Highway 69, which is like another one of the singles that we put out, it's the single that everybody's talking about. Is the day that there was a knock on the door, and Donnie V from Enoughs Enough, the original lead singer from Enoughs Enough, walks in the door, and I'm just like starstruck, completely blown away, you know. <laughs> and Donnie V is like sitting there going, "Play the song, bro. I want to hear it." And I was like. Man, this is insane. I got Donny V and Chip here both listening to the song Highway 69. It was so surreal and so cool.
0: I'd say so. I'd say so. Literally the stuff of dreams, huh?
4: Yeah, absolutely. I, I was. It makes me, I, I don't get starstruck. Well, I do get starstruck, but in a different way. I just shut up. Like, I don't say anything because I don't want to say something stupid or ruin the moment, you know? <laughs> yeah. So I just kind of sat there and I was like, okay. Man, 16 year old me would be kicking myself just thinking Donnie V and Chip's enough here to listen to the new single. <laughs> oh man. Oh man.
0: We'll uh we'll jump back into your history a, a bit now to give the listeners a taste of where you came from. So you're from Nebraska. Some of the band yep. are from Chicago. What, if you can, what was your earliest musical memory?
4: My earliest musical memory started uh my my listening to the music you always listen to music your parents were listening to and i was very fortunate enough to to have parents that were cool and that kind of grew up during the 60s and the 70s that listen to great music that being said uh in in the states and especially in, in our area in the midwest it's very uh it's like midwest rock and roll and, and coming out of chicago you know chicago being so close you got a lot of bands like Ario, e. Speedwagon, Bob Seger, all these great, great classic Tanuja, these great, great classic rock bands. I remember listening to those on the FM radio with driving around the car and with my dad. He was also a huge Beach Boys fan, so I listened to a ton of the Beach Boys. I listened to Elvis, the King of Rock and Roll. You know, it was really the kind of the oldies, but it was a good lesson in where to start and where the music came from and give you that that background, that foundation to kind of build. And then it was kiss. It was it was all kiss downhill. Once I heard Detroit Rock City at the age of 16, I was like, I'm hooked. This is what, (laughs) what I want to do. Now, how do I do it?
0: I always say, you know, a good, strong foundation in music is very important, especially for musicians, you know, and I love that lots of people tend to pick it up from their parents. When their parents have great music taste, I think it uh, really sets you up for uh, obviously having great taste yourself. But um, what was the point in your early life that made you realize you wanted to be a musician?
4: It, it was it was. Uh, so what my uh, my parents sent me to uh, a private a private school. So it was a Christian school and they would play this video. It was a video called Hell's Bells and it was a, like a propaganda video teaching kids how you know listening to acdc highway to hell how it's a satanic thing and if you play the records backwards like you're gonna <laughs> get possessed by the devil and you like all this this iconography of all these uh these symbols inside of the the album covers and it did the complete opposite for me where i was intrigued and i'm like this is cool this is awesome i i, I need to know more about this i'm just hooked there's something about it my buddy brought in kiss detroit rock city and i was like i found what I've been looking for. And I was kind of an outcast kid. I was, you know, searching for something, searching for my place. And Finding Kiss kind of gave me that place. Then I realized that there's this whole, this whole world of rock and roll, this whole world of people that are, feel exactly the same way I do that are looking for a place. And we have that place and that's in music. So I, I just dived in headfirst, didn't even think about it. My parents bought me a guitar and I, I was like, this is my ticket to kind of get out of Nebraska and to see the world and, and to meet girls and have a good time and go on the road and, and just be able to, to not have a real job. That was always the goal.
5: breakthrough and I'll wait hopefully near you hoping you are trying to get near
0: Very welcome to Concerts That Made Us.
6: Thanks very much for having me. Thanks a million.
0: I'm delighted. I'm absolutely delighted now. I remember growing up in the 90s, not to make you feel old or anything now, but I remember growing up in the 90s, you couldn't listen to the radio without hearing you guys. And you were hugely successful. I mean, you toured with Bon Jovi, Meatloaf, The Cores. You even count Elton John as a fan. He bought a box of your CDs to give out to friends and family. I mean, yeah. you seem to have done it all.
6: Yeah, I mean, look, we had a, we, we had a great time. I and mean, it's it's like, a, a, you know, I do listen to a lot of podcasts now. And, and one thing that seems to be quite uh, across the board is that people don't really realise at the time that things are happening, you know, so we were just working now, don't get me wrong. We were having a great time. we were enjoying ourselves and playing and writing and, but, you know, when you're in the thick of all that work and, and, and you're just going from one church to another, it's, you know, put it this way, if it happened again. Now I think we'd all be looking around a lot more. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say, so. I'd say yeah. so.
0: So one thing I love to do is I love to start at the very beginning and see how your story started and how you got to where you are today. So, if you can now, can you remember your very first musical memory?
6: Yeah, I can indeed, yeah. Well, I mean, apart from playing uh, at home to myself and writing all the time and, you know, very basic stuff now when I was a kid. But my first gig, I think, was when I was 15 in um, in the local uh, school hall, as it were, the community centre. And there was a kind of a battle, not a battle of the bands, but a you know, uh, a summer festival kind of thing, you know, just for the locals and on. And that was the first time I still haven't played one of my own songs. Jeez. Yeah. What, what was
0: I was just going to say it must have been pretty nerve-wracking being the first.
6: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, you got to start somewhere. you got to start somewhere, you know. And uh, so, you know, um, that's the first memory anyway, definitely. I, I remember it well. remember it like it was yesterday.
0: And when it comes to concerts, would you say going to see Meatloaf with your mother was kind of your musical awakening?
6: Well, you know, it was it was very a s- sentient, interesting moment because I said to my am I am going to be up there with him someday? It wasn't just I'll be up there because I kind of knew that anyway. Uh, that's where I was going. But uh, with him, I'm actually going to play with Meatloaf someday and for that to actually happen. Uh, and to end up sitting on the stage with him singing one of his songs, you know, I mean, this I think you have more chances to win the lotto than that actually happening. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Know, fair, for such an obscure thing to actually yeah. happen. So, yeah. It yeah,
7: great.
0: it's like it something really straight out of a movie. <laughs> yeah.
6: Yeah. Or out of an upcoming documentary. You never know. Well, well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and in your house growing up, then, was it a very musical house? Was uh, music always being played?
6: Yeah. Yeah. All the time. I remember one of my earliest memories of, of how music affected me emotionally was um, Honey Come Back by Glenn Campbell. And um, we had Glenn Campbell's greatest hits in the house, which, you know, years later when you turn around, like Jimmy Webb brought all those songs and the whole story about him and Glenn, how they got together. It's fat. You know, I was just so happy that that was the music in which my household was made up of but uh honey come back yeah where he just you know it's a country western song and it's playing away and then he starts talking in the verse i oh, know you used to love me honey and all this and i started bawling because i just felt my heart broke for the guys it's like oh, this is unbelievable you know and i remember my mother coming into the room saying you know are you all right son you know as a concerned parent would be why, why are you crying is everything all right and i was just like uh it was only years later i realized the song had just touched me that's what happened i just got the, you know, the emotion was from the song, and how my heart went out to the, to the character in the song. You know, so
0: it's the
6: the power of music, I suppose. Oh, absolutely, it is. Yeah, yeah, and um, yeah. So I've always had an affiliation with music that way. And in the house, there was always great. You know, Elvis and Neil Diamond, and it's all good music. Mm-hmm. You know, it was all really good music. But I appreciate. I, I mean, I. Pff- the Wombles, I had the Wombles album, you know, We Wish You Were Wombling Merry Christmas and all this. <laughs> and then you kind of figure out years later that Mike Batt wrote all of those songs and the recording process was like, the Beatles loved them, everybody loved them, Mike Batt, because the songs were so clever, mm. you know, and well-written. And how they were recorded, they were recorded by real bands. Like, it was like, I know they were Wombles and suits, but Mike Batt, the guy who wrote and produced all that stuff, was a bona- you know bona fide genius. The stuff was amazing. So it's only years later you look back and kind of think, you know, and then when you, and to kind of think, God, they were, it was good music to have around, certainly.
0: Yeah, yeah. Set up a, a brilliant foundation for you, anyway.
6: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, and that's where the pop element of it came from, Brian. You know what I mean? We want to have a song that you know, has to deliver in three minutes and, you know, do, do what it says on the tin. So we were never afraid of that, as, as you know. And some would say that uh, to our detriment, you know, oh, that's why you, you don't get taken seriously. I mean, the famous, one of the famous reviews from Hot Press. Where he came to the gig in in, in the Olympian and, and called our fans over, Zealous. had to go with the fans because they were having too much fun. You know, it was kind of oh man. So anyway, <laughs> we never really cared about that. We just wanted to be in the radio, and hence your first question. That's why we were on the radio all the time. That's, <laughs> yeah.
0: that's all we were interested in doing. Yeah, yeah. And just before Picture House, you had a band called Hidden Faces. What that's was right. your experience with that?
6: Again, again, looking back on it. It was an amazing time. It wasn't at the time, you Mm -hmm. know, because we were kids and you all have your issues and you're in your teens and there's all this kind of crap going on, you know, there's there's all that in bands. But, you know, listening back to the music now and the things we achieved, you know, we had cassettes with 10 songs on them, five on each side and, you know, we made our own cassettes and wrote our own music and it was full of passion and angst and, you know, all of that, (laughs) which uh, so I'm very, very proud of it now. When I look back at it. Um, but I, as again, at the time, I'm, I'm sure you know, I was more concerned about whose girlfriend was who at the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. And how did that turn into
0: picture house then?
6: They threw me out from my own band. Really? Yeah. They fired the lead singer, which is always a good move in the <laughs> music business. So I just went, okay, fair enough. And I set a house the next week and off we went. Different band
0: yeah i think it was sort of a i'll show these guys so
6: (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah thanks for the energy guys i needed that you know (laughs) um asher look there's johnny biley's in the band in hidden faces you know it's all just the same as i said a lot of a lot of juvenile kiddie stuff going on you know um but that's what happened so i moved on to picture house and there was a lovely man roddy hickson and lord Reston. he had the the demo that i'd made and he sent it into somebody to to review it or whatever it but he said, and I put that in picture house on it. And I said, Oh, really? Why is that? Well, you know, when I listen to your music, I see pictures, you know, it's very image driven, and then house is very inward at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> so I like, Okay, Ronnie, thanks, man. I'll take that. That'll do. <laughs> so that's the truth about where that came from. Yeah. Uh-huh.
0: <laughs> it's a, that's not one I've heard before now. It's a, It's yeah. actually a, a good way of coming up with the name.
6: <laughs> yeah, well, that's what happened, you know. Yeah, yeah. And uh, y- like, I. you know, you tend to think there's a huge big game plan, grand plan with bands, where a lot of it's serendipitous and lucky yeah. and, you know, just things that happen, Yeah. good and bad. Yeah, yeah. Now, in the
0: early days, you guys had an unbelievable drive to succeed and you toured and gigged like hell around Ireland. What was the scene like in those days coming up?
6: Gosh, you know, and I know it sounds like a broken record here, Brian, but, you know, you're looking back on it and you're thinking, now, oh God, it was actually really quite good. You know, you could, Heineken roller coaster tours were packed and, you know, um, really successful things that went on that I don't really see now. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the scene was more geared towards bands coming through and, um, you know, the live scene. Now, having said that, I'm not in that world at the moment, so I don't know. Maybe, maybe there are lots of up and coming bands touring all over the place and still packing venues up and down the country. I don't know, but um, at the time, the scene was was fairly vibrant. Yeah, it was fairly vibrant. You never made any money, as usual, but it was um, it was vibrant. Anyhow,
0: I think nowadays I seem to notice anyway is. I don't know what it was like back then, but now there seems to be like a massive divide, you know, you're either the lower bands that are going around playing gigs, or you're the bigger bands that are playing festivals and everything. And it just seems like it's impossible to to merge or make the jump, you know?
6: Yeah. That's that's a huge problem. That's a huge problem. I'm, I'm working with a new organization at the moment that we've set up, Keolairn, which is Music Ireland, which we've set up to kind of deal with all of that. You know, as an indigenous business in Ireland, we don't really, we're not like the fish board or the film board or Tourism Ireland where we kind of say, well, we have music and we're world beaters at it and we could be making a lot of money for our exchequer exporting this product if we manufacture it properly. And so in that lies that problem, uh, that same thing, that middle tier. You know, and I'm not sure what, you know, the appetite is amongst that age group of going out to see up and coming bands. I'm not sure whether that's a thing anymore. You know, it possibly yeah. isn't. You know, if you're not on TikTok, you don't have a huge presence, and um, maybe maybe you can't connect with your audience in that in that, you know, organic way that we used to. Again, I could stand to be corrected on that, I'm not sure, but uh, maybe that's part of the problem too. But I don't know when the last time I saw a band that kind of wrote a song, got the Late Late Show, got on the radio, you know, did their own thing. And, you know, I can't see, I can't remember the last time that's happened. An organically grown band here in Ireland.
0: No, actually, no. I think, uh, yeah. I think it's kind of a thing of record labels nowadays take a step back and say, how are they doing on TikTok? How are they doing yeah. on Instagram? Yeah, yeah,
6: yeah. Come to see us when when you're already famous. Yeah. yeah. And that's why, again, I think there should be an apparatus in Ireland that can facilitate artists like that. I mean, I know it's not like going and pressing CDs and putting them in the record shops and any of that doesn't work. But, you know, you could have, could be an appetite in Ireland for a lot of people that kind of think, you know, well, I go on to Aaron's website this week and see what's up and coming, and I'll buy that track for 99 cents because it doesn't bother me anyway, and the artist gets the 99 cents. You know, stuff like that, where, you know, I anyway, mean, Brian, it's in, it's a whole other conversation all of that to try and get into it. But I mean at the time you know, the scene was very vibrant to be played in the Baggard Inn and the New Inn and you know the white horse down on the on on, on the keys and you know, you could play in Ireland, you could be playing every night of the week if you wanted to. I, I know what you mean, as opposed to doing a pub gig recovers
7: hmm.
6: for nothing. These were gigs with the original artists writing their own stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And there was a lot of it around. Everyone I knew was in a band, you know.
0: <laughs> I suppose Everybody. when you're when you're in the scene, yeah, it would yeah, be like yeah, well, that.
6: That's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's like the butcher guy. Everybody I know is a butcher. <laughs> yeah, so you may yeah. find you're kind of in that scene. Maybe that's what that is. Yeah.
0: you're very welcome to concerts that made us
8: thanks for having me
0: i'm delighted to have you so it's very exciting times for you guys you're about to release your latest single i don't want your drugs would you like to tell us about it
8: yeah um it's uh we're pretty pumped about it um really stuck with how it came out how it was mixed all of that um yeah i mean it's basically sort of i guess. A, a sort of duality with the song. I mean, it's obviously about, you know, very factually, like, I don't want your dirty drugs, man, but also kind of about, you know, I guess being in like toxic relationships where it sort of ends up becoming like that, you know? Um, so I think it was written a bit, but like from a personal experience of just kind of having that separation of, you knowing when something is sort of unhealthy and toxic and, you know, whether it's the actual, we've all, you know, all been there, done that. It's been on those moments of, abusing things physically and also more in like an emotional sort of state. So that's sort of the precipice of the song. Uh, Yeah, pretty excited about the release.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'd say so, I'd say so. And is there a good amount of anticipation from fans?
8: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, we've had quite a few shows um, over the last few weeks. I was in Europe for a while. um, So as I've come back, we've had quite a few shows and everyone's pretty pumped about it. Um, We've also got a music video They'll go along with it. That will drop in a few weeks after that. So I think people are, are pretty excited. Yeah, getting good feedback already. So we'll, we'll see what happens, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. That's good to hear. That's good to hear. And something I noticed with you guys is it's very hard to kind of put you in a box. It's like if yes. you're telling somebody about your music, it's hard to be like, yeah, they're, they're this kind of sound or they're that kind <laughs> of sound. How yeah. would you describe it?
8: I mean, I kind of feel the same way. Um, I mean, I guess to give it like an overall, you know, I guess label in a sense. I mean, I guess we're sort of it's like grunge, a bit of like punk influences, a bit of psych vibe. But I mean, for us as well, that that is kind of the vibe. We haven't got any. We've never had an intention of going. We want to have a band that sounds like this. It's just kind of what happens when we when we jam together and write together. And I kind of dig that. I've never really wanted to, you know, kind of like be put into a box. So I think for all of us, it's quite cool that people can watch our shows and and can dig it from, you know, whether they're like metalheads or, you know, into like, you know, pine whatever it is, it's it's I feel like it's it's that we've got like a nice all-rounded sort of feel. We can play with a lot of different bands, which is cool. So thank you for noticing <laughs> that. I like that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no problem, no problem. And there's one thing I'm dying to know. There's something I came across, a word I've never heard to describe music before. Cow punk. What on earth is cow punk?
8: <laughs> I mean, you know, that was more like my guitarist. Um, Like he's he started just researching different bands Um, and came across this like genre of cow punk and sort of, I guess, you know, um, my guitarist and myself, we spent like country projects together, a lot of like country stuff. And uh, and uh, I come from also like a very like underground punk background. So Yeah, I mean, I grew up playing in punk bands from when I was 16. So it's kind of this thing of going, we found this little genre of people that kind of mix country with punk. That's not quite like folk punk. It's got more of a country vibe, but it's also like bluesy and like psyche. And so he was like, hey, man, we found our people. And I was like, sick. But I mean, (laughs) from then, we were really divulged into a whole different direction. So it's it's not even even car punk anymore.
0: (laughs) Right, right. Yeah. And the story of the band then. It was born out of, initially it was born out of lockdown. But yeah. how did you get from, you know, starting off your solo EP to having We Kill Cowboys?
8: I mean, it's, uh, I've always played in, in bands, you know, my whole life. I, I've i never really felt that like I'm um, sort of inking towards being a solo artist. But I think after about three years of just having a complete fucking, can I swear, is that? You
0: can, okay. you can.
8: <laughs> uh, a writer's block. um you Know like COVID was like this thing of going, no excuses, everyone's busy, you're forced now to like just just start writing, just get over yourself. And that sort of evolved into my solo stuff. And I love doing it. Um and obviously then starting to play shows again, playing on my own. It's just not this. I've always loved playing with people and having that like family vibe and just, you know, tightness together and creating music together. So I just wanted to play loud shit. I wanted to find dudes that would dig to jam. Um and that was sort of the direction I went. It was, it kind of happened super organically in, in a sense that I honestly never thought that I'd be playing in a band again. I guess with a lot of other punk bands, I kind of gone to other bands, but doing my own stuff, it's been years. And so there was just always that drive to really um, figure that out again. And uh, yeah, so I mean, I was real stoked when I phoned um, my guitarist, Jono, and I was like, hey, bro, it's been a fucking while. Like, what do you feel about this? And he was like, "Dude, I would love to jam with you." And from there, it sort of went. Okay, let's find a drummer, let's find a bassist, and you know, it just got these dudes in, and it just was this beautiful thing of like we we're all just meant to be together. And so that's sort of how it evolved from my solo thing to going, let's let's start a fucking band, let's play loud music, and let's just let's just have a good time, you know. And that's where we are today.
0: Do you think then in South Africa, it's kind of it's very easy to find like-minded people when you're trying to put together a, a musical a musical project
8: um it's kind of i guess in a sense because we're you know it's not a huge country um and when it comes to um you know i guess the more underground sort of scene of things, um a lot of us have grown up together, we all played in bands from when we were like teenagers um. And so it's, it's sort of even though we're all like in our 30s now, we still know each other. We don't always see each other, but these people still jamming and doing things. So it definitely it comes to like also I mean, a lot of people have moved away and are doing their own thing. So on one hand, it is kind of kind of like going tapping into like, hey, you know, what is he doing now? What is she doing now? But in the same light, uh, it's also I think our music sort of scene has really changed over the last 15 years so in that light it's also kind of tricky because you know a lot of people have gone into more electro stuff or gone to different genres of music so and I think I don't know if it's like this in europe or anywhere else but trying to find fucking drummers is almost a nightmare yeah. and in our country it's like the hardest thing to find as a drummer you know because you've got one dude playing in like seven bands so um I think with 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 us it was just kind of i feel like we we're all meant to be together and I do kind of like i feel very grateful for that because I feel like there's a bit of like a universe sort of guided us together you know which was cool um and i i think for other bands it's not always that simple you know to to find people are like-minded also on like a personal level you know so yeah
0: i definitely hear that all right i've uh, i've that's something that's the most common thing I come across is that drummers are very hard to find. It's like everybody wants to be, you know, the cool guitar player and <laughs> they just forget about drums.
8: <laughs> yeah, I think it's also having to carry around, you know, 27 different little small items. Everyone's like, fuck that. I'll just be a vocalist. <laughs>
0: that's probably actually, yeah. Uh... <laughs> yeah. I usually like to get a sense of how you got to where you are when it comes to music. So I'd like to dig into your history for a bit can you remember your very first musical memory
8: yeah I mean um, I guess when I was maybe about three or four there's always just this sort of moment of my my parents playing Nina Simone on on record and and just me like on the couch and just in it and that's always something that kind of I've always remembered that moment and even though at that age we don't always remember things but that's sort of one thing that I remember very clearly sort of hearing her and really connecting to that. And then, I mean, pretty much since I was about seven or eight, I've been playing piano and I always, always, I don't know, I just I, I just grew, always having a very uh, close bond with music. My, Both my parents were very, not musicians, but always a crazy vinyl collection. And I think the first time I went to the UK when I was about 10, and I saw these like crusty punk dudes on the train, And with all their tats and, like, they were, like, jamming and they were busting afterwards. And I was just like, that is what I want to fucking do. (laughs) And it's just always something I've just felt a very strong bond towards, man. It's kind of, like, very deep in my bones. So, yeah. So from there, it was kind of, like, learning to play piano. And then, you know, I don't even know how I even got into the punk scene. I think it's just, like, meeting kids at school and sort of, like, you know, hearing different music and sort of, like, sharing stuff. And and just from there... um, yeah, really connecting to to punk and to um, I guess all the sort of like like heavy blues, but like mostly punk. And from there, yeah, starting a starting a punk band when I was fifteen. And uh, yeah, I did a lot of cool shows. And it's I mean, from there, it's just been a fucking journey, man. Of just playing with a lot of other big bands and playing a lot of bands myself, doing a lot of tours and festivals and that kind of thing. Yeah, I guess I'm kind of jumping forward in time here, but.
0: Sullivan you're very welcome to concerts that made us
9: hello thanks for having me
0: it's great to have you you guys must be one of the most exciting bands in Ireland at the moment
9: oh thank you that's oh god I'm so bad at taking compliments
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think that's an Irish thing isn't it
9: <laughs> yeah I think everyone's just like oh I don't know what to say like you get like awkward but it's yeah but thank you thank you I don't know well I never know what else to say <laughs> <laughs>
0: Now, I can't wait to share your story with the listeners. You guys, you kind of do things a bit backwards. I mean, you start off with the record deal, playing big festivals before you even play your hometown. But um, we'll start at the very beginning. Can you remember your very first musical memory?
9: Oh, OK. Well, damn, I have to go way back. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my first, like musical memory was I mean this is gonna it's not very emo but Disney (laughs) I was like a complete I still am I still love Disney and I think even like the songs and that the melodies and stuff I still love I think that's why I love I still love Disney I think I'm not saying we sound like Disney but (laughs) I think I appreciate a good melody because I my first love of music was Disney songs and stuff so and then that was obviously when I was a baby like but I'm now 28 and I still love it But um, and then my first like bands I remember I loved Busted and McFly they were like I think they were like the kind of Thing that everyone likes before they get into the full rock music yeah
0: it's <laughs> like a were, good introduction
9: yeah they were like the little gateway to so then I discovered my chemical romance and that ah. changed everything that <laughs> I, was, I always knew I wanted to sing but when I saw my chemical romance I was like oh my god I need to be in a band like this <laughs> is it okay I'm in a—I I want to be in a rock band and Gerard Way like he was i loved how dramatic he was and just so like his expressions and even the lyrics everything how they can be so dark but again sounds so like melodic and beautiful at the same time so my compromise were like the first of my teenage years they were like my first kind of gray wind musical memory <laughs>
0: <laughs> right right some good ones there some good ones there i've uh, i've actually seen my came in concert years ago. Now, I didn't get to see them when they came this year, but uh, oh, they're they're unreal. One of the best.
9: Yeah, I saw them for the first time two months ago when they were in Dublin. I had wanted to see them since I was almost like 12 when I first like discovered them. But I just never I, I think I saw like every other band growing up that I loved, like Fall Out Boy, Taking Back Sunday, Jimmy World. But I never saw My Chemical who were my ultimate favorite. So. Seeing them like two months ago, I was transported back. I was gone. I was like, I was crying. Like it was, it was as if I was 14 again, and I was so happy. Like just seeing kind of my idols up on the stage. Even though now I'm in a band, it's just so I felt I forgot who I was for a second. I was like (laughs) losing my mind, and then there's like fans there who were like looking at me, and I was like, oh god, I have to wait. Should I be acting cool now? I couldn't. I couldn't hide it. Like, I was like, nah, I'm living the best moment right now. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. I take it they were just as good as they were years ago. So
9: incredible. Yeah. They're amazing. Amazing.
0: So, when you and Paul were growing up, was uh, music always something you guys were interested in?
9: Yeah. Um, well, our mom is, she is a singer as well. Like, she sings like, opera stuff like she's a soprano but now she's kind of sings a lot of other stuff but she um and she used to teach singing and piano and stuff so I can't play piano still I don't know how that happened but so she would teach me kind of how to sing like throughout my whole life basically so and again the Disney songs she would have teaching I remember she was teaching us the Beauty and the Beast song when I was like five so it was kind of always in the house and my dad always had rock music so it was the kind of difference like he had Thin Lizzy and Queen and all the good stuff growing up so that kind of I think that's why I love rock music as well like I love all types of music but I think that's obviously why I must be in a rock band subconsciously somewhere um but yeah so we're always kind of surrounded by music and I'm lucky as well we always say we're really lucky that me and Paul have the exact same taste in music (laughs) (laughs) yeah I can't imagine imagine trying to write songs I don't know how people do it when you don't maybe it could be more creative i guess but i we just always we usually like the same stuff like he always used like he introduced me to like jimmy world and take him back sunday when i was younger and stuff he'd always bring home the cds from school that people have given him you know the (laughs) burnt cds like back in the day and yeah introduced me to all those so yeah so we've kind of always been surrounded by music yeah yeah
0: yeah. and one thing when people listen to your songs, they may be surprised to find out you're from Killarney. Now, personally, I know Killarney. It's a beautiful area, but it doesn't scream emo. What yeah. was it like growing up in Killarney being into that music?
9: Oh, my God. The amount of times I got called goth and emo on the streets. And now I'm like, yeah, I'm embracing it. <laughs> I'm like the queen of emo now. <laughs> so, yeah, um, it was, yeah, as you can imagine, it was like, completely not an emo scene there wasn't there's there still isn't really a scene me and Paul just we're like okay this is Irish emo this is it this is what we grew up listening to these are the songs we're writing like there's so many people even in the past couple weeks that have discovered us and have said oh my god this sounds so nostalgic to me this is like the sound I grew up on and like it's just because me and Paul basically we've if we've just written kind of what bands we grew up with and it's just subconsciously kind of out of us but yeah it's the artwork that we have I think you can see the Killarney references like on our album the artwork with the mountains and the lake and the snow and stuff that's kind of inspired by Killarney but yeah musically it's there's no like traditional <laughs> Irish music in there
0: <laughs> yeah yeah I didn't think so now
9: <laughs> <laughs> maybe like album three we might like Living in an accordion or
0: something. Yeah, or a fiddle or something like that. Yeah,
9: yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> That'd be a very interesting take on emo now. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. So, what point did you guys, you know, realize you want a career in
9: music? Um, oh my God, that's, that's a deep question. <laughs> <laughs> I all, oh, well, like I said before, I always wanted to sing. And then when I discovered my performance, I knew, okay, I want to be in a band. This is the kind of capacity I want to sing in. I want to be in a rock band. And then we kind of just didn't really do any, like I wasn't in any band growing up. It was just kind of, I don't know how I thought I was going to be in a band. Again, Clarnie had no, I could, we I didn't really look to be in a band I just in my head. I was like, yeah, I'm going to be in a band. I'm going to play warp Tour. I'm going to tour the world had no band like Paul didn't even play guitar at this point he didn't play guitar until I think he was like 18 or something like it was yeah so we kind of but he again was like yeah I want to be in a band too it's like how are we doing this (laughs) like we're not actively trying to be in a band but we always like kind of wrote little songs not really proper songs we'd be like yeah just little kind of crap songs (laughs) but um (laughs) and just for ourselves that we just literally sing like to each other like and then so then paul learned like guitar and he would be playing acoustic guitar and then we'd go busking in Killarney and we'd be sitting like on the floor like <laughs> too scared to stand up like eventually we did stand up and then we would just be singing like "Taking Back Sunday and like the killers and stuff and there'd be people walking past like what are these two are these little goths like what are they doing <laughs> like not knowing what we're singing and um yeah and then we basically then this story kind of turns a bit dark now <laughs> but oh, nice. basically lovely very emo so um then our in the kind of the middle of all of that our uncle actually committed suicide and we were very close to him and that kind of completely broke us obviously we were in like we had never really experienced death like that before of someone so close to us and it kind of really kind of woke us up to think okay wait we we need to do something with our lives like properly we wouldn't need to focus I don't want to waste a minute doing something I never want to do I want to be in a band I want to tour the world and we just kind of believed and then Paul I remember came to me one day and was like I have this rough like draft of the song afterthoughts and he showed me and we were like oh, okay that's good I guess it's not bad <laughs> and then uh, we kind of worked on it together and then i was complaining about i want to be in a band and then paul was like, oh my god shut up like <laughs> he, so he found a, a studio up in belfast like across the country like the opposite side of the country we probably could have found one closer like but we found one on the opposite side of the country um and we just kind of worked on it at home kind of didn't have any equipment knew didn't know anything about production or anything so then we kind of got it ready enough like in a nice way to be able to demo it so then our mom drove us up to Balzac, <laughs> You know, Very again very rock and roll very emo and went up there did recorded afterthoughts had like program drums on the demo and had the guy in the studio he played bass on it and paul did all the guitars obviously and then i i think i sang i sang for like 15 minutes in the booth like wasn't really thinking about it whereas now i wish i could do that now i'm so (laughs) so then yeah we recorded it and then we were sitting on the couch in the studio and he was the guy was playing it back and we were like oh my god wait this this sounds sounds really good (laughs) like like, wait this isn't like bad like damn (laughs) so we were kind of like shocked like and then Again, didn't really think of it. We just, um, then we went home and the next day we uploaded it onto like SoundCloud and YouTube, all the usual stuff. And and a couple of weeks before this, we had decided, oh, we'll call ourselves Grey Wind. We kind of didn't really think, we weren't kind of planning anything. We were just wanted to do something. Because we were, we just wanted to kind of release something and feel like, okay, we're progressing in some way. We're not just sitting here busking or not doing anything. So we put that up, and then the next day we had like every major label, a bunch of managers emailing us, and we thought it was fake. Like we thought this, you would, yeah, finally like messing (laughs) with us. Like, but it was all real. We check, we googled them all, and we were like, oh Oh, god, God. LinkedIn.
10: The clouds have waited years to If Only clarity found me in my last mistake I rise from the worst Rest from the depths of this instead I'm swept onto rocks A shipwreck, a mess I find myself looking for what I have left Back on the shore I can't find your face I follow fresh footprints back to my place Would you do it again? I found this kingdom myself.